This is a Broad Pods production. You're listening to the Leaky Pipeline podcast. Welcome to this episode. Construction is much more than bricks and hammers. It's an industry for all people to work in. On this show, we sit down with changemakers to discuss the passion, the opportunities, the struggles, and the changes that they're taking to bring more people, especially women, into construction. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, I'm sitting down with Dr. Apana Samarawira, the proud recipient of the 2023 International Women's Day Scholarship. Apana takes us deep into her groundbreaking research titled Lifting Barriers to Gender Equity in the Australian Construction Industry. She eloquently discusses the six recommendations from her research and how they can work towards solving gender inequity in construction. Welcome to the podcast, Aparna. Okay, uh, Lauren. I'm Aparna Samaravira. I have a PhD in construction management. I'm currently working as a lecturer at the University of South Australia. So I'm both a teaching and research academic, actually. Um, my research focus is mainly on culture in construction with a special focus on uh, gender equity and uh, worker well-being uh, mainly. That's all about me. (laughs) Apana, I really wanted to get you on the podcast today because you are our IWD scholarship winner for 2023. And I really wanted to have this opportunity to talk about your research and how you found the scholarship. So I guess I'll start with how you found that scholarship. So how did you find applying for the scholarship and the time that you've spent during your research? I uh, joined NAVIC during... 2020. So I participated many networking events and all. So suddenly I got an email uh, about this IWD scholarship. So um, I was in the uh, process of, you know, doing research uh, to improve the worker well-being. And I had a special focus on female worker well-being as well. We had some research going on around the mental health of female construction workers. We are actually developing a strategic framework uh, along that line. So uh, I found this opportunity really uh, interesting and very beneficial for me. So I quickly thought of applying for it. So developed a proposal around the theme of IWD in 2023. So that is how I found the IWD scholarship opportunity. Amazing. And Apana, I really want you to talk about your research. So can you talk to us a little bit about the research subject and then what you've found throughout the year? Um, The main uh, focus of this IWD research was uh, to identify practical strategies to overcome the barriers that female construction workers face in the construction industry. So uh, in order to do that, we adopted a mixed method approach, initially starting with uh, a comprehensive literature review. We reviewed uh, Australian literature in addition to that uh, global literature because we wanted to identify uh, main barriers around the gender equity issue uh, related to female construction workers. So we came up with the 44 factors that really affect the gender equity of female construction workers. From that, we developed a questionnaire survey uh, for which actually NAVIC helped and we got an overwhelming response of 441 responses. So 
Using the survey, uh, we could identify major factors that affect to four work categories of female workers. The four work categories included the managerial workers, professional workers, clerical and admin workers. And we took all the site-based workers together as laborers, tradies, operators and technicians. So uh, the main thing we found out of the factors here or the barriers here was the site-based workers uh, mainly focused on the issues around the offensive work environment they are working in. And uh, the site-based workers' uh, main concern was around work-life balance, actually. They all had similar issues, but they were the main highlights around the barriers they faced uh, in their work environment. So using these factors or the barriers, we conducted some focus groups So we could conduct eight focus groups. So with the 30 respondents, we discussed how we can overcome these barriers. Uh, We brainstormed actually a lot to find out specific strategies for specific uh, issues each category faced. Out of those focus group discussions, we made several recommendations to improve gender equity in construction workplaces. Absolutely amazing. So I guess what really stood out about your submission, which is titled Improving Gender Parity in Construction Through Increased Participation of Women in Professional and Support Roles, Breaking the Barriers to Gender Equity, it really aligned with NAWIC because it has the potential to impact participants across the industry. So it's not just tailored for you know, white collar women, it's tailored for women both on the tools, uh, so blue collar, white collar, and anywhere between small businesses all the way to tier ones. So we really love that about your research. Can you talk to me a little bit about the recommendations that you were able to find after you did those study groups? Of course. The main recommendations we grouped as organizational level implementations and industry level implementations uh, actually we recommended for. So the organizational recommendations mainly included the first thing highlighted by this managerial work category was nowadays uh, what organizations do is they do target recruiting where they purposely hire females in order to tick the box of completing their gender equity mm. targets. Yeah. Of the so this seems to have negatively impacted uh, females a lot. They seem to be getting bullied uh, from their male colleagues because male colleagues feel that uh, these people have been hired just for ticking the box, not based on their talent. Yeah. So this has negatively backfired them a lot. And this is not everyone. It's just some people in the construction. There have been some um, comments where males have said, you know, oh, you need a skirt to get that position or I should just wear a skirt and I'll get that position. So there are some negative connotations with ticking these boxes. And I guess we should be hiring the right people regardless of gender I think the focus needs to be on gender but we still have to focus on hiring for skill levels right exactly so our recommendation is make the advertisements more inclusive highlighting a lot of uh, gender equal opportunities like giving more parental leave opportunities highlighting the safe work environments if you highlight that sort of uh, aspects 
in your job advertisements, it become more inclusive and uh, females will definitely apply for those positions. You need not to, you know, handpick these people, females for those positions. So making advertisements more inclusive is the main recommendation and organizations have to rethink their recruitment strategies definitely in that line and re-engineer their processes so that you can pick the best females for their roles rather than, you know, picking based on these uh, other strategies of uh, filling uh, gender equity targets. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, it's a really good point. We have a gender decoder on our website, which helps businesses to even when they're writing, you know, a job ad, they can go onto the website, put in their ad, and it actually changes the wording. Because what we've found is a lot of the times when people are posting a job ad, it is very, very tailored towards men. The language is towards men. And that's just an unconscious thing that happens. So I guess on the website, we also have that gender decoder to help anybody to place their ad in there. And then it changes just those words to make it more gender neutral so that it is more inviting and you have more female talent apply. But I think, as you said, it's a really great way to start looking at what they need to change. And that is how do we get more women to apply in the first place rather than us going and handpicking. One of the issues that we find in construction is that more and more companies are getting women in their companies, but they're actually picking these women from within the industry. So the industry numbers aren't actually growing. We're not getting more women into construction. We're just picking from the same pool. So I think that recommendation is really, really important. The next recommendation is around organisational policies. Actually, monitoring and controlling organisational policies and, uh, you know, changing the reporting systems in an effective way. So with regard to monitoring and controlling is many of the respondents in our focus groups complained There are policies in place because there are these requirements for organizations, more than 100 employees, to report their gender equity data annually to National Workplace Gender Equality Agency. So many organizations, they have a lot of policies in place already. However, they don't reflect the real requirements or the real hardships faced by females in construction. So we need more monitoring and controlling with audits and reviews with these policies. And also another major thing highlighted by the respondents was lack of proper reporting mechanisms in place in organizations. Some of inexperienced or newly joined staff didn't know where to report in case of a gender equity matter. So uh, streamlining these reporting mechanisms within internal organizational setup is a key to improve gender equity. Because just having some organizational policies is not enough. Because many organizations use them as marketing tactics at the moment. Yeah, so we have to get rid of that. If we want to make use of these policies, we have to audit them, review them and have these proper monitoring and controlling systems for these policies in place. Was there any policies in particular that the respondents brought up that were ineffective? So they had a policy, but it actually didn't reflect their work. Were there anything specific that came out of that research? Yeah, main thing was around bullying and harassment, actually. Oh, wow. That is the thing. 
Yeah, that was a major thing they highlighted. There are a lot of policies in place. And uh, actually, we have another recommendation for the industry level for this matter as well. I wish to highlight that in this point. That is, there are a lot of laws and regulations in the country to protect workers and also construction workers from this bullying, discrimination and sexual harassment. However, though these policies are there in place, people are not educated about them. They don't know what are the real content within these regulations and what are the consequences and what are the reporting mechanisms if you face that sort of thing. Therefore, it is really important to educate people, workers, about these the legal uh, aspects and reporting mechanisms. Mainly, if you face with any breach of any of these regulations, what are the external help you have, such as Human Rights Commission or Fair Work Commission? They say like they don't know where to report. And another main thing is how reporting has backfired. Many respondents believed having anonymous reporting is really great if they can adopt so that they don't get bullied for getting exposed after reporting those, yeah, for reporting those. So they preferred anonymous reporting if possible. So that is a great way of controlling these bullying, harassments and discriminations at work level. Because if people know the consequences of these uh, negative behaviors, they can, you know, uh, get rid of or be reluctant to engage in those negative activities. So making them aware about these laws, regulations through organizational policies and, you know, Educating people about reporting mechanism is a major thing we have to look into in organizational level. And also, we identified Master Builders Association has already started about educating uh, organizations about these legal requirements that they have to adhere to around educating people about uh, bullying, harassment, and discriminations. There's something that I want to highlight. There's a legal requirement when somebody complains about bullying, harassment, or sexual discrimination. First thing they look into is, has the organization done any educational uh, you know, programs or have they taken any action around educating people about these uh, policies? rules, regulations. If they haven't, even an organization is liable to pay compensation to uh, such affected parties in addition to the persons who have committed these wrongful things. Therefore, even organizations are liable to educate people and there's a lacking in these sort of educational programs within organizations which we have to get together and, you know, uh, improve the awareness. So by that way, we can reduce lot of bullying, harassments and discriminations in workplaces. Mainly the site workers face these issues like tradies, operators, technicians, site-based staff. It's actually really interesting that they would like something that they're able to post anonymously and that is huge because it means that people are scared to actually go forth and put forward these claims. So having it anonymous will help people to actually speak up, which is actually really interesting because to change culture, we need everybody to speak up about the wrongdoings and be on that supporter's side. So hearing that people 
obviously don't want to speak up about it, the culture won't shift. So having an anonymous, you know, an anonymous trail, like a complaint process, I wonder if that is the solution to start kicking that, you know, that cultural change. It is a really interesting point because we have heard from a number of women that have never experienced anything like this, but have seen others who have. And the negative effects of that is when that person brings it up, they end up getting fired because it's just easier to remove that person rather than deal with the bigger issue. And that's just not okay. So I can see why having it anonymous would encourage more people to actually speak up about the wrongdoings. Mm. And another thing, Lauren, there are advantages and disadvantages of anonymous reporting, of course. It's because, um, you know, people can do fake reporting. Yeah. So organizations have to be very careful around anonymous reporting systems, but it's a good starting point because they can start investigations around matters. And another thing was females get bullied from their supervisors as well. Right. So if the mechanisms involve their direct supervisors, it's not going to be very effective. Yeah, they prefer third party involvement in these matters. So we really recommend in our report having managers related to gender, like separate management related to uh, gender equity matters in organizations. It can really add value to organizational human resource management. Uh, so that a third party is, you know, doing inquiries and all. And another thing is these females get bullied from their supervisors. Some organizations have already adopted supervisor rating systems where the fellow workers rate their own supervisors in terms of uh, their, you know, positives and negatives and all. So this rating system seems to have worked really well in the industry. So we can adopt it as a best practice as well. It's just a tactic that organizations can adopt to control that sort of supervisor bullying. Well, absolutely, because, I mean, evaluating yourself as a manager is really important and the only way to evaluate who you are and how you manage others is to have the people that work under you evaluate you as a as a manager and that is anonymous we've I've been through that previously and so that is anonymous where you can rate people on all of these different skill levels and it's a really good start for managers to open up their eyes and and say well actually I'm not I'm not performing my best and this is an issue that I need to fix. Um, So I I really think that is a great way to start as well in the industry. It's to change the way people are behaving. I mean, supervisors bullying people, it's not how it should work in the industry and it's, it will hinder anybody coming into the industry. People will leave. A lot of people leave jobs because of their managers. That's the most reason they leave. If you're happy in your job and you're happy in your work environment, you tend to stay. But if your manager is a bully, you know, or picking on you, you're going to leave. So that's a really, that's a really great point um, that you raised, Apana. Another important thing we found through the research and we are recommending is we have to change how we draft policies as well. One main thing is most of these policies do not differentiate the place of work of the people. Like we have different types of people. Some work on site, some work on office environments, some commute to other places, uh, you know, uh, all the time, maybe for maintenance work sort of stuff. And some work remotely from home. So if we can differentiate policies according to these work categories, it's it, 
can really bring in a lot of uh, value to organizations to improve gender equity because these different work categories have different issues of their own. So uh, when drafting policies, one main thing is to consider the differentiation among these work categories. And another thing is uh, the possibility of co-designing. If you can involve the affected people in the policymaking process or when you do reviewing your policies, if you can get these people participated in the revision process at least, if you really uh, have the policies and if you can do the revisions together with people, you can really improve gender equity in workplaces because they highlight what are the real issues they have and you can incorporate them into your policies. Therefore, our next main recommendation is rethink about your policy-making process in organizations, think about the differentiation, think about core design possibilities with your workers. It's so true, Apana. I mean, just saying that, you know, it's very different for someone on site versus in the office. The flexibility is very different. How everybody works together is different. And I think you've highlighted a really great point. And I love that this research has touched on it. And it's about bringing everyone together to design these policies because you're creating policies for your workers and they have to abide by them. But they also should be involved in that process so that one, people abide by the policies but two if they're things like you know parental leave they also feel empowered to take those policies on and to take parental leave what we see is a lot of the companies have these amazing parental leaves that don't work or policies that don't work in the real world so it doesn't get taken up and then they wonder why people don't take it up so I think that's a really key point is ensuring everybody's on the journey to create these policies that actually fit different people Um, because, again, flexibility looks different for everybody. So every policy that we're making has to kind of suit different people. I mean, we can't make a policy for every individual, but at least if they're on that process and they come down that journey, then they will be able to take on those policies and feel like they've had a part and a say in the company. And one thing we know about workers is they need to feel valued they need to be heard and this is a really great way to do that yeah exactly now those are around the organizational level Uh, so if we move on to the industry level recommendations we uh, try to propose is one main thing is we want industry to think or we want the government to think about uh, increasing the uh, demand for female workers So basically, increasing the demand side of uh, female construction workers. In order to do that, it's better if we can encourage small organizations to hire more females. Now, why we are saying that is, uh, if you take all the businesses in the construction sector out of statistics in 2023, 98.6% businesses are small-scale businesses with less than 20 employees. So uh, our industry is characterized as uh, small businesses governing the sector. Now, if you take these small businesses, majority of the businesses are trade services organizations. And if you consider the workforce in construction, 74% workforce is uh, coming out of tradies, operators, laborers, and technicians. Uh, So majority of of the work opportunities available 
with the small organizations, not with the bigger organizations. So if we really want to increase the uh, demand, it should be created from these small organizations. However, the disadvantage for females is these small organizations don't have formal recruitment practices because females uh, get into organizations through formal practices, formal recruitment uh, processes, because nobody, females are less preferred in construction. So the only avenue females have is to get through these formal channels. But since small organizations don't have formal channels, if we can encourage these small organizations to hire more females, we can really create a huge demand for female construction workers. We definitely know like there's a scarcity of construction workers at the moment, but uh, is there a, a demand for female workers in the sector? I think no. There's a demand for male construction workers. So if there's a scarcity, females should not have any problem finding a job. So the real demand is coming from these small organizations. And if the industry can work together with the government to encourage small organizations to hire more females, I think we can improve the demand side of this female workforce. One small tactic we highlight in the report is why can't we uh, maintain a registry or something maybe with master builders or somewhere, including these uh, female workers open to work so that small organizations can pick from those lists at least. Because uh, they normally don't, you know, spend money on uh, formal job advertisements. That is the pattern we identified from the uh, discussions. They work through referrals mostly. So if that sort of a registry or something is available, then there's an opportunity for them to, you know, pick from that sort of a list. However, educating and making aware about the importance of hiring or the advantages of hiring female workers is a key here. So we have to collectively work for that, actually. Yeah, it's another interesting point, Apana. I think um, there is a big issue there because a lot of the small businesses, as you say, they don't have those um, recruitment practices. They don't even have HR in their company, a lot of them. These are smaller businesses. It is an interesting concept because in order to help women get into construction, we need these little guys to open that door. Um, and how do we do that is the question. I would also be interested, I think the registry is really important. It's a great takeaway. I'd be really keen to understand as well if the bias is still within those smaller businesses. So we know the bigger businesses have these HR practices, have gender equality targets, they have all of these, but it's really interesting to know those small businesses, that's not their focus. Their focus is mainly get someone in, do the job and let's continue. So I wonder if that culture and that thinking around, you know, women can't do the job versus men can do the job is changing. And I wonder if that culture will ever change as well. Because I think even if we have a registry, I wonder how many people would use it if their thinking is still in the past where it's only men can do the job and they're still having that conflicting message within themselves. So I think it's a really good point. I just wonder if it would 
if if people are actually open to actually many of the respondents highlighted that when you take these small organizations normally the owner involved in the recruitment process and the attitudes of this owner heavily affect the recruitment you know practices so if the uh, owner has a positive attitude around uh, hiring females maybe because the owner has his own uh, female kids or yeah daughter they tend to do it or if they have positive experiences or, around yeah. uh, females working yeah. with with them yeah before they tend to hire it so the most affected party Hiring in this scenario female, yeah. is the tradies, operators, technicians, uh, and, you know, laborers. Uh, because that is the smallest representation of female work category in the construction. But that is the highest number of workforce, uh, 74% workforce available in the sector. Yeah. If you can tap that area, it's great through awareness, raising doing something to change their attitudes and all. Uh, but we have to yeah. figure out how we change that thinking culture. There are processes in place with bigger organizations, of course. Still, they're also uh, affected by these attitude problems, you know, hiring through uh, informal channels and all. So we have to make these hiring practices more transparent and by making them more inclusive uh, with the advertisement and all we can, you know, play with bigger organizations to hire more females. Yeah. And I wonder if the bigger organizations can also support the smaller businesses hiring women by adding something in their contracts, for example. It doesn't have to be a target as such, but, you know, we hire, we favorably will look into hiring a business um, for subcontracting work if you have at least a female worker in your business. And then it starts to change the way that the big guys hire the little guys as well. You know, if they have this sense of this is our culture, this is what we want to see, we are for gender equity, then it can filter down to the, you know, to the subcontractors and maybe that will start to create a culture change. But if nothing shifts between the big guys and the little guys in the in how they choose a subby, I don't think we're going to see that much of a shift either because, as you say, 74% come from that pool, so we really need more women in that section. Do you find that through your research, was there women wanting to do that type of work? Like is there a demand of women wanting to enter the tradie roles and the technician roles? Of course. Roles? Actually, uh, one of the interviewees told highest demand for these tradies, operator, technician uh, exists with the civil sector. It's not the building construction sector. Actually, we have to, you know, do a research on that. It, it's open to research. This is just a, a comment from a respondent. What she says is like uh, she was a manager of a civil uh, engineering, a government sector, civil engineering uh, organization. According to her understanding, highest demand for job opportunities in female sector is uh, from the civil construction sector because there are now more operators and trades workers in the civil sector, I mean the female workers. She says like that may be because civil sector is more safe in terms of work environment than the building sector. You know, when you take the building construction sites, uh, if you're working for a smaller contractor, 
the sites will be so confined and unsafe for a female to work. But if you take the civil construction sector, you know, work sites are more spread that those can be road construction projects or it can be telecommunication or pipeline, water supply projects or something. Those sectors seems to be more, uh, you know, safe for females. And she told like she sees a lot of female workforce coming to that sector as operators and tradies. So it's a good highlight because now females are moving towards this trade sector. And we have to really do research and find out what are their preferences around work sites and all. So that is why we thought of giving one recommendation around highlighting the importance of hiring this category with small contractors. Because our procurement structure is more like there are small subcontractors working for big contractors. So big contractors, they don't hire these trade workers directly to their work pool. They get their work through the uh, subcontractors who are coming from these small organizations. Ah, that's amazing. It's so fascinating. I am, I'm really looking forward to reading the report, Aparna. I'm sorry we don't have much more time, but I, I wanted to kind of ask you one last question. Out of your whole research and out of all the recommendations, for the people listening, what is the one main thing that you would tell them? to do, to go out, if they can change it right now, go out and do this one thing to help women in construction. Okay. My message to females is this, do networking. That is our core strength. Networking is where we can advocate for the issues in gender equity and where we can lobby for gender equity, where you can find job opportunities. So get together, collective bargaining is the only way we can create a space for us. So this is my message to females, get together. If you are new to uh, construction, how do you find a job? It's through referrals. That is what works best because you are nobody. It's about who you know than what you know when you start your career, who you know. So it is networking if you are a female. And for males, let's get together. Let's transform the industry norms help transforming the industry norms. What I found from the research is construction is not an emergency uh, you know, sector. Everybody complained like, why can't we work for five days? <laughs> it's, it's debatable. <laughs> there are tough industry norms that we have to change, like working extended hours, inflexibility. And another main thing is clients demanding for tight work schedules and all. So, as men, let's help changing these industry norms. Let's make construction more safe, you know, excluding these uh, bullying and harassments and all, so that we all can work together because a mixed, diverse gender creates a productive work environment and uh, more collaborative and uh, effective work environment. So why don't we as an industry, get the uh, best outcome of that diversity. Absolutely. So help change in the industry culture. That is my message. Thank you so much, Dr. Apana. You're, you're amazing. The research is really exciting and I can't wait to see it. Thank you so much for joining me on our podcast today. 
um, and I can't wait to see you present in South Australia. Thank you so much, Lauren, for this uh, golden opportunity. It really helped me, uh, you know, get a visibility for the research and do at least a small impact. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Leaky Pipeline. Let us know your thoughts about this episode or leave us a review wherever you get your podcast. Don't forget to share us with your friends and to find out more about Narwick, head to our website at narwick.com.au. Thank you.